chapter 4, and we're going to be focusing on verses 35 to 41. And some of you are familiar with this passage. It's um, the story about Jesus calming the storm. And I'm reading from the ESV version, and so read um, with me. Verse 35, Mark chapter 4. On that day, when evening had come, he, that is Jesus, said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, um, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. I love that. Um, and, they, and they woke him and said to him, um, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. Pray with me. Jesus, you are king, and you are Lord of all. And so as we reflect on who you are, may you help us know you more. And as we know you more, help us to live for you effectively. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, the sun begins to set and the air begins to cool. It's evening. But the crowds that have gathered, right, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee to hear Jesus teach are as engaged as they were earlier in the day. And after a long and exhausting day of teaching and conversations about, that, about what the kingdom of God is like, Jesus does this. He invites his disciples to hop into a boat with him so that they can sail to the other side of the lake. The other side. What is this other side? The other side is a region called Decapolis. This city was Gentile territory. So Jesus is going from Jewish territory to Gentile territory. And to the Jew, the region of the Gentiles was a dark and scary place. Okay, Jews never went to Decapolis, to that side. So the disciples know where they're going, but Jesus doesn't tell them why they're going there. His disciples do not ask, and we don't know why they don't ask. Maybe um, they, they, they just trusted Jesus, or maybe they did ask, but Mark hasn't recorded the details in our passage for today. We're not told anything else apart from the fact that Jesus extends an invite to his disciples, and without hesitation, they begin, that is his disciples, to make preparations to set sail. And what's interesting about this, as I was reflecting on this, it reminded me 
of the many times how God calls us to something without fully revealing to us what his exact purposes are. For some of you here, Jesus is inviting you to something new. You may not have all the answers, but he's asking you to take a step of faith. I'm not an A-type kind of personality, but if you are that A-type, organized, I need to know everything, I need to have everything planned out, that kind of freaks you out. The fact that at times Jesus will call you to something without fully unveiling to you or revealing to you exactly what he wants you to do. Whatever he's calling you to do this morning, let me encourage you to respond just like the disciples, to accept Jesus' invitation, not only to a relationship with him, but to whatever he's asking you to do, even if he's not made it crystal clear how he will use it for your good and his glory. So, along with several other boats, Jesus and his disciples sail out to sea, leaving the crowds behind. As they set sail, the winds that propel the boat out to sea are mild at this time. They're perfect, like a light breeze. Look at verse 37. This is what it says. It says, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. So back then, obviously, they didn't have the weather apps like we have, right? <laughs> Apparently, I was reading this statistic. It was this crazy, I can't even remember it, and I'm not even going to share it or I'll butcher it, and you guys will like, go research and like, email me and prove me wrong. But basically, <laughs> what it was trying to say is that like, in the people use the weather app a lot. Yeah? And I've been using it a lot recently in San Diego because it's been raining, oh my gosh, it's raining in San Diego, and it's like cold, and I'm like, it's not cold, <laughs> and all of that. But um, back then, obviously, they didn't have the weather app, but what they did know is that the Sea of Galilee was notorious for sudden and dramatic changes of weather. They knew that. So their decision to set sail when um, it's evening time and it's getting dark was a huge risk. Shortly after sailing away, they begin to sense a storm brewing. The calm and mild winds that propelled their boat out to sea have now become fierce and ferocious. In the blink of an eye, the disciples find themselves in the eye of a raging storm. The winds are so fierce, they create waves that not only smash and unbalance the boat, but begin to force their way into the boat. And so, as experienced fishermen who are used to this kind of storm, they do all they can to survive the storm, but all of their defense mechanisms are powerless. The menacing winds and waves keep tossing the boat around. The boat is seconds from being filled. They are experienced fishermen, as I said, and have been in situations like this before, but They've never experienced a storm quiet like this. It's fierce, it's heartless, it's ruthless, it's uncontrollable, and they're beginning to fear for their lives. The call to follow Jesus has an element of mystery 
He doesn't always reveal every detail from the start. He doesn't. But the call to follow Jesus is not always smooth sailing. It comes with stormy seasons. The life of a Jesus follower involves tough and difficult seasons. I remember when I first got saved, I was going to college in London, and I was hanging out with some guys, girls I shouldn't have been hanging out with. I get saved, and I don't desire to do what they want to do anymore. And I remember that moment realizing that, man, like as a Christian, I thought everything was going to be awesome. I thought it was going to be a bed of roses. But I soon began to realize that it was tough and it was challenging. And in the same way, God calls us in a certain direction. Okay, we obey his call. We set sail with him on his mission. Then at some point, our lives are rocked by the storms of life. If you're here and you have decided to dedicate your life to loving and living for Jesus, you will experience sickness, loss, bereavements, disappointments, just like other people. Following Jesus doesn't mean you're going to get your best life now. Jesus has not promised us a life without affliction and suffering. The storms of life will rock your world. The storms of life will force their way into your life and threaten to destroy your life. And my wife and I, Eleanor and I, we've had our fair share of difficult and stormy seasons. We really have. And I'm sure you have as well. And some of you here are caught up in a stormy season now. You're going through an extremely difficult and trying season. And I don't know what it is. It could be anything. It could be health issues. It could be financial. It could be relational. I don't know. You're caught up in a situation that seems hopeless. And as far as you're concerned... God has let you down. You feel like he doesn't care. And if this describes how you feel, let me remind you that you're not the first or the last to feel like God doesn't care. You're in good company. Why? Look at verse 38. It says, But he was in the stern, that is Jesus, in the stern was the back or the rear of the boat. And what was he doing? He was having a nap, (laughs) all right, having a nap on a cushion. I love the detail. Like, Jesus was sleeping on a cushion. Thanks, Mark, (laughs) you know. (laughs) I love it. And what happens? And so his disciples wake him up and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? So as the disciples are striving to survive, okay, they notice that Jesus is still in the back of the boat, sleeping in the middle of a storm. And they're offended by that. And they're offended because they're they're like, hey, Jesus, like, don't you care? We gave up our 
families and our friends and gave up our careers to follow you. And here we are in the, first of all, how can you sleep in the middle of a storm anyway, right? And second of all, don't you care? Get up and help us survive this crazy, ferocious, raging storm. Help us, Jesus. Don't you care that we are perishing? How many times have we questioned God's love and care for us? How many times when we're in a crisis begin to entertain the lie that God may not care about us? And in feeling this way, we not only question God's goodness, because that's what we're doing, right? We're questioning, God, are you good? Do you really like me? No, we're not just questioning God, God's goodness. We're beginning to question his greatness. Is God really great? This time around, is he big enough or strong enough or powerful enough to deliver? Is he able to fulfill his promise to bring healing in my marriage? Is he? God, are you powerful enough to bring peace to the chaos I find myself in? San Diego, extremely expensive city to live in. We know God. And for some of you, you're, you're struggling financially and you're questioning whether God will provide for you financially in this city. And because of this struggle, you're beginning to question whether he's truly great and he's able to provide for you. Is he able to provide? Is he able to heal? Is he able to deliver? Is God, is God able to help me forgive? I think that's one of the biggest things I struggle with. I've been praying a lot recently about and asking God to help me truly forgive. Forgiveness is an amazing idea, but it's an extremely difficult thing to practice. It really is. Does God really care? I'm here to remind you that God is good and he absolutely cares and he absolutely is great and powerful enough to bring peace to the storms in your life. And that might just sound so cliche, doesn't it? How many times have we read this um, this story or even reflected on this story and been like, God, you, yeah, man, you, you care. You'll always help me in a storm. It's absolutely, it sounds like a cliche, but it's absolutely true. God really cares about you. I think God cares about us more than we care about ourselves. He absolutely loves us. God is with you. The presence of the storm does not mean God is absent. And the promise is that he will respond to our cry for help and pull us through. And how do I know this? Look at verse 39. It says, And he, Jesus, awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be 
still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Right? And so Jesus wakes up. He doesn't even say a word to his disciples. Okay? He doesn't. Um, he, he looks at um, the wind, rebukes the wind, and looks down at the sea, and, and from the boat says to it, peace be still. And this is kind of a mild way of the, the interpretation of it. If we were to translate it into our modern vocabulary, Jesus would be saying, shut up. Okay, <laughs> Wind, just shut up. That that is that is the weight, and that is what it's um, the Greek was trying is communicating. I love what Tim Keller says about this. He says Jesus didn't brace himself, roll up his sleeves, and raise a wand. There was no incantations. He simply said, "Quiet, be still." Again, we read this. And we're so used to it, we, we can't, we don't really wrap our minds around what is happening here. Okay, science experiment, and I'm not going to do it here, I'm going to explain it, and if you want to do it during the week, you can. But next time, you fill a bowl of water to wash some dishes, try this, try rocking the bowl to make some waves, okay? Then stop the rocking and watch what happens, even though the bowl has stopped, the water doesn't. It continues to move from side to side for a long time. The same is true for the waves of the sea. Okay? It's common knowledge that even when the winds stop and a storm ends, it takes hours for the surface of the water to calm because the swell has built up. This situation is different, man. Like, it's crazy. What happens here is absolutely un unbelievable. When Jesus says, peace be still, not only did the winds die down, but the waters instantly went dead calm. Just imagine being there on the boat with the disciples. Almost instantaneously, the dark clouds evaporate, boisterous waves stop, the wild and ferocious winds become a light breeze, the boat has stopped rocking, and all you can probably hear are the slow drips of water and the creaks from the boat. The nightmarish situation is gone in an instant. And so if you had been there, how would you have responded? What would you have said? What would be running through your mind? We are all desperate for calm and peaceful lives. Our lives are so chaotic, crazy. And here we are reminded that Jesus is not only able to calm the natural, literal storms, but he's also able to bring calm to inward storms of life. And so, with clothes drenched and water 
dripping, dripping from his hair and his beard. I can imagine it. It's just, they're all drenched. And it's like, <gasps> you know. Jesus says to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? It's no surprise that in this room, most of us are burdened, some sort of anxiety. Something in your life is causing you to worry. Maybe it's the fear that you'll lose your job. Maybe um, it's the fear that um, you're you're never going to repair a broken relationship. I don't know what it is for Ellen and I and I. One of the things in our lives that makes us super anxious is the fear that our recent visa application will be denied, okay, and will be deported. That brings about, even as I'm speaking about it now, right? You guys are like, it's gnarly, okay? That is fear for us. That is an anxiety for us. These fears, don't know what yours is, we know what ours is. I just shared ours. Grip our hearts. And when, and when they grip our hearts, what they do is they weaken our faith and our trust in God. And so the question is, what makes you fearful? What makes you anxious? When things in your life threaten your well-being, whatever it is, financial health, whatever is causing anxiety in your life, picture this. Picture Jesus actually asking the same question he asked his disciples, and that is, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Have you still no faith? Why are you afraid? In other words, whatever troubles you're facing, Jesus is saying to you today, why are you freaking out? After all you've seen me do, after the many, many times I've been faithful to you, after all that I went through, to save you and give you forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Why are you afraid, my child? Why are you questioning my love and care for you? J.C. Ryle said this. Listen to this, all right? Listen to this. Kind of a long quote, but try and listen to it. Hope it encourages you. With the Lord Jesus Christ, nothing is impossible. No stormy passions are so strong that he cannot tame them. No temper is so rough and violent that he cannot speak peace to it and make it calm. Christ will carry us through every danger. 
Christ will make us conquer over every foe. What if our relationships oppose us? What if our neighbors laugh us to scorn? What if our job is hard? What if our temptations are great? It is all nothing if Christ is on our side and we are in the ship with him. He who is for us is greater than all those who are against us. Tim Chaddick, mentor, past friend of mine says this, if God is infinitely powerful over nature, then we must trust that he's infinitely wise in allowing storms into our life. And so, after Jesus confronts their lack of faith, verse 41 lets us know that, this is how they respond, they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? For the last 12 weeks, We've been studying the life of Jesus using a biography written about his life by a scribe named Mark. And the opening line of this biography about Jesus, written by Mark, Gospel of Mark, says this. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This opening line lets us know who Jesus is. But at this point in the story, we know what the disciples don't know. At this point in the story, according to the disciples, Jesus is simply one of Israel's elite rabbis. That's why when they're in the thunderstorm and freaking out, How do they refer to Jesus? They call him teacher. Okay? Teacher is another word for rabbi. Rabbi is another word for teacher. Get it? Think so. Moving on. (laughs) But after Jesus puts the storm to death, who they thought Jesus was is immediately challenged. They're not sure who this Jesus is anymore. They're like, who is this guy? And their response is totally unexpected. Absolutely, definitely. If you ever um, see someone you love and respect do something incredibly miraculous like calm a storm, of course you're going to be blown away. But also, the reason they're terrified and their view of Jesus is now challenged is because what Jesus just did, and listen to this, what Jesus just did is something only God can do. Throughout Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, God creator of heaven and earth, God, sustainer of heaven and earth and everything in it, is the only being who has power 
over the waters of the sea and creation itself. For example, Psalm 93 says, The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established firm and secure. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. The seas have lifted up, Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. Mightier. And the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. This is a poem that is depicting God's rule and lordship over the waves of the sea. So for Jesus to act in exactly the same way is for him to unveil His true identity. Jesus is more than a carpenter from Nazareth. Jesus is more than a historical figure. Jesus is more than um, a guy who created this religion and gained a following. The whole point of the Gospel of Mark Okay, And the primary reason why the author includes this story in his biography about the life and times of Jesus is not to remind us. This is not the main point. The main point is not just to remind us that Jesus is with us in the storm of life. Okay? It's not to remind us that Jesus will bring calm to our anxious hearts or that we should rely on Jesus to help us in our times of needs. These things are true. And you, if you have a relationship with God through Jesus, absolutely God is powerful over the storms in your life. He is absolutely powerful. But the central truth of this story, central truth, the main point, the purpose, this is in here. Is to reveal Jesus' identity, not just to his disciples in ancient Israel, but to you and me and all of humanity throughout the ages. And Jesus' true identity and the whole important message the story is trying to get across is this, that Jesus is actually the embodiment of, of the creator God. Simply put, Jesus is God. And that, in and of itself, seems obvious to most of us here. But I guarantee it's very controversial in some places. Jesus is God the creator. And so you're trying to tell me that that Jesus, that guy from Nazareth who actually existed, who actually walked on earth, and, and Jesus was God? Yes. Throughout scripture, throughout his life, he did clearly communicate that he was God. But even if he didn't, what he did, like calming a thunderstorm, was evidence that he was God. Rico Tice, 
a British author and Anglican minister says that when we look at Jesus, the guessing games about God stop. The God of the Bible is not someone we dreamed up. No, God has revealed himself to us. God has shown us what he's like by sending his son, Jesus Christ. Through this story, Mark has given evidence that point to the real identity of Jesus. We've seen his power and authority to control nature. We've seen that Jesus acts in God's world with God's authority. So who is Jesus? Jesus is God's son with the same power and authority as God. And that he is God's only chosen king. And the question is, look, if this is who he is, if Jesus is really God, the question for you is, how have you been relating to him? How have you? been relating to him when you find yourself in the storms of life? How do you relate to Jesus right now? Who is he to you? If he's God and king, of your life, how do you relate to him? Pray with me.